Okay, so this is um, our third class for our Nine Marks of a Healthy Church and Nine Marks of a Healthy Church member series. Um, and so this week we are talking about um, the third mark, which is being uh, is the gospel is the mark, and being gospel saturated is the mark of a healthy member. So we kind of mentioned this last week, but talking about it again, sort of as the progression of those first three kind of marks of the healthy church. Um, so the first one being expository preaching, and we talked about preaching the Bible in a way that reveals its God-intended message, right? Um, but to do that well and rightly, you also need to have the second mark, which is a biblical theology, um, which allows us to rightly understand uh, the message of the Bible, and um, in light of all of Scripture, right? So essentially taking, being able to, yes, go to that individual passage of in, in Scripture, but understand it rightly in terms of the bigger themes of, of Scripture and the larger narrative of Scripture. But then also there is, is this week's um, mark is the gospel itself. And so maybe a way to think about it is, is, it is to rightly understand the Bible in light of its central message, okay? And so we would say, of all those biblical narratives that you might be able to elaborate on, the gospel is the main one. Um, it is the central um, uh, message and and um, purpose of uh, God's revelation in history and, the, and what he is accomplishing in history. So... So we can talk about the gospel. Um, obviously it's a word that, that is, is very common in, in the church. Um, it gets used in a few different ways. Sometimes people will talk about, um, the word gospel and obviously they mean the four gospels, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they're talking about those, um, individual books of the Bible. When we talk about the gospels, sometimes when people will use the word gospel, they really just use it as a word for the entire, um, uh, Bible. Um, it's almost, it's almost like the, it's almost a synonym for biblical in the way some people use it. And so you'll hear people sometimes talk about, well, I'm a gospel preacher or something like that. Well, that pretty much usually means that, that they're a biblical preacher. Um, but we're using it in a more zoomed in way. So you're probably aware that the word gospel, um, means, um, good news. And so that's what we were talking about. We were talking about the specific good news, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, um, that, that God has revealed to mankind. And so we can, we can kind of, there's, there's kind of, we're going to go about it in a certain way. We're going to start by sort of, um, asking something that we might say are gospel questions. Um, but again, that the whole bigger picture is to say the church has to be for a church to be a faithful church. Um, it needs to have a clear understanding of the gospel and put the gospel up front. Um, it needs to be ministering to its people according to the gospel. It needs to be teaching the word um, according to the gospel. Um, it needs to see that as the primary work of the church is the spread and the um, assimilation of people um, by the gospel into to God's people. Um, and by the same token, it's important that you as church members understand these things, right? It's important that you are gospel people as well so that you, um, and, and we'll get into a, sort of some of those specifics here in a minute, but th that you're familiar, um, and, and not only people who've been changed by the gospel, but people who understand the gospel and are sharing the gospel as well. So let's start with this idea of one way of kind of thinking through it. There's different ways that we can sort of think through the gospel, but sort of a, prepping ourselves kind of way is to think through it in terms of this idea of maybe something like gospel questions. And so this would be to sort of prepare us for the answers of the gospel. Yeah. I don't, I, I didn't print them off this week, but I will do that next time. Um, I mean, I'll bring ones from this week next time. If you, if you, that way you can have them. So come on in, have a seat. So we're kind of talking about these, this idea again of gospel questions, right? So, um, what? 
So the first one would be is this, is to say, all right, so says who would be a gospel question because we're trying to establish what the situation is. So says who? So, right, everybody believes something. Everybody bases their morality or their behavior or their values on some sort of standard. So then the question is, is what is that standard? Okay. Um, and you'll see why we would start there in, in just a second. To whom or to what um, are we held accountable and why? That's sort of a, a beginning um, kind of question to, to prepare people's hearts almost or whatever. Um, then another question is to say, okay, well, what's wrong with this place? Um, we look around us and we know that the world is broken. Um, that seems to be obvious. Pain, suffering, cruelty, apathy, exploitation, evil. Why is that? Why is the world the way it is? How did things get this way? What are the consequences of things being that way? That's like a key question, okay? Um, the truth is, is that probably everybody has an answer for that. They may have never just sat down and elaborated it on, but you could go out and ask anybody in the world and say, hey, man, this world's a messed up place. What's wrong with it? Why is it this way? Um, a third question, if there is something wrong with it, with your, which there obviously is, how can that be fixed? Like, how can can we fix this problem? Um, can it be fixed? If so, how? What do we do to fix this problem? What about things like justice? What about things like mercy, love, hope? Like, what do we, if we think the world shouldn't be this way, then what do we do to get to a world that is is the way it should be? Then more specifically, how can I, and yes, the world in general, have access to that solution? If there is a solution out there, then what do I need to do to engage that solution, right? Like, is there, you know, is there, what, what do I, what actions do I need to take? You know, do I need to cut carbon emissions? Do I need to, you know, move and be a Tibetan monk? Like, what is the thing that I need to do or that needs to take place to access the fix? What role do I play in that? And then lastly, what then? What will be the outcome and consequence of accessing the solution? Um, what will that necessitate? What will that require? What will my life have to look like afterwards? Will anything change? Will it be exactly the same? But that's a good, that's an important question to ask, right? If, if we're going to fix this thing, what are the consequences of fixing it? Okay. So again, those are all kind of questions that don't, we haven't given any answers to them yet, right? But they're basically, preparatory gospel questions to um, to frame the discussion in a certain way. Because the gospel, the content of the gospel is basically giving answers to those questions. Okay? Um, and so a popular, a popular sort of quick way of thinking about the gospel that you'll hear, hear people say a lot of times is they'll say that the, the message of the gospel is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or something to that effect, okay? Um, that's a popular way of saying it. When I'm talking to people or or sharing in any kind of way, any kind of context, like I use a little different one. It's one that I've basically um, taken from a little, there's a little black book called What is the Gospel by uh, Greg Gilbert. I think it's a very short, simple, helpful kind of book. Um, to but but I basically sort of stolen his outline, but kind of reworded it a little bit. And so he says the message of the gospel can be summarized in with five words: God, man, Jesus, response, kingdom. All right, and then we can elaborate on those a little bit. Like the specifically when we talk about God, we're talking about. His, him, him as a holy and just creator, because that, that is going back to that answering that question of says who. Um, we're talking about mankind who are the sinful rebels. That's what's gone wrong. Um, we're talking about Jesus who is the perfect savior. That's how to fix it. We're talking about how do we access that fix? We respond in faith and repentance. And then the consequence of responding in faith and repentance to the salvation that Jesus has uh, provided for us is the uh, the advent of God's kingdom in our lives. That is the already not yet redemptive reign of Christ in our lives, which we'll elaborate on that in a minute too. So what I'm going to do is real quick, I'm just going to go through each of them and kind of talk about, just flesh them out a little bit. Probably the case is, in fact, I would assume all of you know the gospel already. 
Um, but, but it sometimes it fleshes it out just a little bit for us to, you know, say, oh, cool. You know, if I've been sharing with somebody at some time or thinking about it in my own life, that's maybe an aspect of it that I wouldn't emphasize or hadn't emphasized previously. So let's start with that first idea. God as our holy and just creator. Okay. So God holds, there is a God, uh, and that God holds all authority. Um, he is a pre-existent being, meaning before everything else was, he was, okay? Or as he said of himself, I am, right? Um, I, he is the, the pre-existent one. We use that word holy, and usually we think about the, the word holy meaning righteous or something, good, morally perfect. But holy technically has the idea of being set apart, Okay, so the fact is, is that God's holiness is a function of the idea of saying God is different from everything else in the universe. Um, there is God and then there is creation. And those are the only two categories of things. And and heaven, hell, matter, energy, space, time, angels, demons, physical things, spirit, planets, stars, the soul all fall into the category of created things. And then on the other side is the triune God. And that's it. Um, he is unique, other, set apart, righteous, and he is creator. Everything in the universe, he created. If it exists, he's the one that created it. As a function of that, his authority over us is multifaceted. Okay, so he holds authority over our lives in any number of ways. He holds authority over us because he is the designer of humanity and, and the created order. He is its maker. He is its lawgiver. He is its king. He is its judge. He is its father, um, particularly in the case of the church and, and in his people. He is the authority over us in all of those different categories. Okay, and so we exist by his will and for his pleasure. And that's it. We don't exist for any other reason. We're not here because he needed us. We're not here because um, he had to have us. We're not here because he was lonely. Uh, it's not like the old myths of of the Babylonians where they created mankind because they needed somebody to do their work for them and, you know, uh, give them praise and give them honor. God didn't need any of that stuff. Um, God was completely free and happy in, in his own self-existence, in his Trinitary nature. But out of his good pleasure, he decided to create the universe and everything in it, including us. He is the source of all meaning, goodness, truth, beauty. He defines all those things because they are defined in him. And it is to him that we have to answer. All right. Now here's the deal. You could sort of say, if we're talking about the idea of saying the good news, what is the gospel? In a sense, this isn't the good news. This is just the news. This is just the way things are. Okay. They are the standard that they're the beginning. Um, they are stating what the nature of the universe is. All right. Uh, so this is the news before we get to the next step. Well, and let's just, let's just, you know, a quick little, uh, Scripture from Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Because we stand, because God is the one who we are answerable to, he is also the God of, of justice, right? He is the God who we have to give an answer to. Um, and he expects us to, to live according to his word and his will. So that's the news. Questions, comments, concerns? Guilty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That that is the that is the justice and the love of God right there, right? That is the mercy and and the severity of God in that same passage because he's both those things. He is a uh um his character is multifaceted, right? 
So that's the news. That's the way things are. Okay. And then before you have the good news, you have to have sort of the bad news, right? And that is the, the second piece of the gospel narrative. Um, it is the reality that mankind, um, that we are the sinful rebels. Um, if there is something wrong with the world, basically the answer is, yeah, it's us. We are what's wrong with the world. Um, there's a famous quote, I've shared it before, where G.K. Chesterton, uh, a newspaper um, editor in London, sent out notes to all the famous philosophers and teachers and politicians and scholars in England saying, would you write me an essay about what's wrong with the world? And we're going to compile them and, you know, get all you big brains to think about this issue. And G.K. Chesterton famously wrote a letter back and said, dear editor, I am signed uh G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton said, I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. Um, sinful mankind is what's wrong with the world. Um, we have rejected God's authority at every aspect. Uh, we have failed to hit the mark that God has set for us. We have transgressed his boundaries. We have rebelled against his rule. We have defiled ourselves. We contradict him both at the level of the spirit of the law and of the letter of the law. Um, we place ourselves above God's law in, again, in all those different ways as, as designer and maker and lawgiver and judge and father and all those things. We as rebels place ourselves above him in all of those categories and say that we are the arbiters of truth and meaning. But in the end, we end up choosing what is evil and what is false and what is ugly. Uh, we feel guilty. We have this existential sense of guilt, um, even in the lives of people who do not, uh, actively follow the God or any God, right? Um, I would argue that probably a whole lot of what's going on in our culture right now in terms of cancel culture, in terms of, uh, the absoluteness of belief and how if you are not on board with this, then you are no longer you know, fit to be accepted. Those are all, that's all guilt. Um, that is us trying to work out our own guilt, um, except we don't have a God or a system to do that anymore. And so we start going, well, we're going to have to work out our guilt in, in other ways. Um, we feel conflicted inside because we are at conflict um, with the God of the universe. Um, there is a conflict going on. Um, and, and it, it makes sense that we would feel that way, uh, in and of ourselves, given left to ourselves, we are lost, we are condemned and we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And so that's the problem. So again, people, if you ask the world, man, what's wrong with the world? Well, greed's what's wrong with the world. Lack of education's what's wrong with the world. Uh, you know, uh, exploitive, uh, Men on Wall Street or something are, are what's wrong with the world. Yeah, racism's what's wrong with the world. The patriarchy's what's wrong with the world, right? And the answer is, man, those are all sort of symptoms. What's wrong with the world is us. We are the what's wrong with the world. We're the ones that have done these things. And the, we're the ones that treat people this way. We're the ones that act on, on these desires. And, and Romans three, man, is a great place. Um, it, it collects a number of scriptures from the Old Testament, but Romans three, uh, just tells it like it is. And he says, describing fallen humanity, he says, there is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, right? That's uh, that's a pretty comprehensive and damning critique of, of human nature, but it is accurate. Um and demonstrates the problem pretty clearly, I think. So that's the bad news. Okay. Um, but then we get to the good news of the gospel, the good news of the good news. And that is that Jesus is the perfect savior. 
that although we are sinful and fallen and although God is just and, and by his own nature and character, um, has to punish sin yet out of God's great love, out of his grace, out of his mercy, he makes a way for his rebellious creation to be pardoned and redeemed. So God sends his own son, literally his own self as, as the second person of the Trinity into the world to save his people by making what some theologians have called the great exchange, um, which will justify him, justify them to himself. And so Jesus, though truly human, lives in perfect obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross, the obedience that we should have had. So Jesus exchanges our obedience with his. So now we bear the perfection of Jesus and he bears our imperfection. And then at the same time, Jesus being truly human, Jesus being truly God, dies as the perfect sacrifice for sin, even though he himself is innocent. The death that we should have died. So those two things together, we have fancy theological words for him, the imputation of righteousness, substitutionary atonement, but that's how God, that's how Jesus comes to save us. Jesus is the perfect, sinless God-man who can be the adequate sacrifice. And so, Jesus is, he dies for us on the cross. He pays that price for us. And then, Jesus is resurrected from the dead in vindication of his righteousness, in assurance of God's acceptance of his sacrifice, and in victory over the forces of death and sin and Satan. What we in our finite weakness could never have done, Jesus accomplishes for us. Right? Um, that is the good news. The good news is that Jesus has done these things. Um, that our salvation is not just, we, there, there's a great thing that we should zoom in on sometimes. Our salvation, we say our salvation is by faith. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by faith exactly. We're saved by Christ, but through faith. Okay. Um, uh, certainly faith is operative and, and we don't want to minimize that or whatever, but it's not our faith that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. Um, we just come to Jesus by faith. And so that is the good news, okay? The good news is that this problem that seems to have not been able to be fixed, because we were the sinful wet rebels under God's judgment, it can be fixed, because Jesus has fixed it in our place. I love the book of Titus. The, the book of Titus has two of the, like, best sort of summary verses about uh, salvation and sanctification that, that you find in the Bible, I think. So I love this one where in Titus three, he says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That used that passage used to be, I don't even know if they do it anymore on Facebook, there used to be a thing that said, what's your religion? You know, you would pick Christian or Baptist or or whatever. That's what mine said. Mine was that entire quote. Um, uh, that's my religion. Um, cause that's a great summary of the message of the gospel right there. Uh, it's not got everything perfectly. Ideally, you might come along and say, Hey, it, it, let's, let's throw in a reference to the cross in there or some things like that or whatever. Let's, uh, let's throw in a res, uh, a, a reference to the resurrection, but those things are implicit in it. And that's a great passage. Um, so. That's the good news. So what do we do about that good news? Is that good news automatic? Um, does that good news just fix everything out with, with nothing else happening? And the answer is no. We have to, the next piece of the gospel is that we have to respond to the good news. 
And the Bible teaches us very simply that we respond, the way we respond to the good news is in faith and repentance. So God offers this, the um, salvation that Jesus has accomplished to humanity as a gift of his grace. It is neither earned, it is not deserved. That's the, that's the case. Um, it is not something that we, that we win by our merit. It is not something that we, um, achieve by our obedience. Um, it is a free gift that is offered and we receive it essentially by doing, although I would say in a sense, we don't do either of these things. They are, they are not works. They are almost the opposite of works is we repent and we believe. First, we, we repent. We agree with God about our fallen condition and turn from sin, right? So the way that we, we turn, um, the way that we respond to God is first by agreeing with God. And so you could say, well, is that an action? And, and I don't think it really is an action. It's sort of the opposite. It's essentially a surrender. Okay. Um, it is not doing something. It is the opposite of doing. It is saying, you're right. I'm wrong. Uh, hands up. I surrender. Um, there, there's, there's no other, uh, that's it. And then at the same time, we have faith. We believe, we trust that Jesus is who he said he is and that he has done what he said he did. And that's how we receive the gift. That is the simple, um, and only way to, to receive the gift. And so that's good news too. Okay. Because if the, if the good news said, um, you got to go uh, live a perfect life and climb Mount Everest. We would think to ourselves, man, I just, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to accomplish that. Um, and the reality is, is we couldn't, but we don't have to, because that's not how we access the salvation that Jesus has won. We access it by turning from sin and trusting in what Jesus has done. Now, a lot of people will end there. That will be the end of their gospel presentation. They'll say, just and holy God, fallen sinful man, Jesus is Savior, believe and repent. And that's the end. Um, one of the reasons why I like Gilbert's um, uh, message, actually, let's just read this last little passage real quick. Mark 1. Now, this is when Jesus first begins his ministry. When After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so that's a pretty uh, uh, boiled down. People can get real elaborate and they can write whole books about it, but I think Jesus summarized it in a verse, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. Like I was saying, many people end there. But Greg Gilbert, in his little book about the gospel, mentions one more piece that is is essential. He talks about the idea of kingdom. And what's one interesting reality is when you go back and look at Jesus talking about the gospel, oftentimes he makes the reference that it is the gospel of the kingdom. Um, he doesn't just say gospel. He says the gospel of the kingdom. And so um, what are we talking about when we're talking about uh, this this kingdom that is the last piece? Well, so we use this little fancy phrase where we talk about the already not yet redemptive reign of Christ. Now, what does that mean? So we have surrendered to Christ. We are purchased by his life. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the case now and what should be progressively more the case is that our lives have come under the rule of God. That we are living each day, uh, attempting to live each day with Jesus now as the reigning ruler of our hearts, minds, and lives. Now, that is a process. Um, there is an already to that, and there is a not yet to that. There are ways that it is already working, and there are ways that it is not yet complete, that we are still stumbling and fumbling with it. Those who have been redeemed by Christ, we walk According to the Bible says, not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the spirit, right? We now have the spirit that is indwelling us, that is uh, empowering us and leading us. However, what we find is that the old man is still there. The old fleshly life is still there. 
Um, and it is still has a, it still has a influence on our lives while our justification has been accomplished completely at the cross. Our sanctification that is being set apart for God's use. You could, you could sort of use the, the language of being holified, right? We talked about the idea of G- God being holy and completely set apart. There's a process taking place now, which we are being made holy. We are being set apart, um, for God's, um, purpose, um, and, and his, according to his will. And we call that sanctification. And so there are ways that God is already has already accomplished our sanctification in us, but there are also ways in which it is not yet completed and is being worked out progressively in our lives. It's already begun, but it's not yet completed. And so then what we find is that this kingdom reign of, of Jesus in our life, this redemptive reign. And what we mean by that is that Jesus is, is little by little. You could, you know, draw an illustration of, of he is winning regions of your life and heart back to himself. Right. He is taking control of little areas of your life. And so you got saved and you went, man, I'm, I'm good and I'm running my life or whatever. And then you find out real quickly, oh, my mouth has still got problems with it. So what happens? Little by little, Jesus says, I'm going to take that back. And then maybe you were like, oh, my thought life had, it was a problem. Um, and little by little over weeks and months and years and truly over your lifetime, Jesus keeps on advancing the kingdom in your life and, and, and conquering more and more pieces of your life. He is redeeming them. He is buying them back to his side. Um, and it's a progressive work. Grace by grace, our lives are redeemed to the glory of God. And just like we've been talking about in, in Philippians, we live now as citizens of, of this kingdom. We live as disciples of, of Jesus and we live as heirs of the living God. We are not just citizens and subjects of the kingdom, but we are actually his children who are inheritors of the kingdom. And that's an incredible thing, which brings us to that second Titus verse that I love from Titus 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right. And so again, man, that is a very explanatory passage. Titus is, he's like, I only got like three chapters here, so I'm going to have to get it all in. And so he, uh, he packs a lot of stuff. Um, Titus doesn't. Paul writing to Titus packs it in there. Um, but there's a lot of, of, of rich stuff in, in just those few little verses in Titus. And so that's the gospel. That's the good news. That is the primary story of the Bible. That is the primary work of God in history. That is the most important um, aspect of our lives. It is the key thing for us to know. It is the filter through which all the rest of our lives is is seen. Um, it is the lens by which every by everything we do. At the end of the day, it is the pattern and the goal on which we pretty much engage with all of life and humanity. Um, it is tied to the ends for which we are made and, and the, the, the kingdom that we are headed to. Um, it's the central message. And so there's a very real sense in which we could have started with this one. If we had said the nine marks of a healthy church, if we're ranking, and I don't think he's really doing that in the book. He's not necessarily saying that one is way more important than two and two is more important than three or whatever. Um, this one could have been the first one because it's that central. He just sort of put them in a little bit different order because I think, as we've said, the first three are all connected. So anyway, questions, comments, concerns, um, that is the gospel. Uh, and it's super important that our church be a gospel centered church. If we are anything but a gospel centered church, then 
it's super, we will never be, everything else will be affected by it, right? That doesn't, just because you are a gospel church doesn't mean you will do everything right. You will mess up in any number of ways and the church will mess up in any number of ways. But I think it is probably the case is if you are not a gospel church, the truth is you can't get anything right. That the whole thing will be off kilter from the beginning and in all areas. A social club or an, yeah. Yeah. So it becomes, it becomes a social club. It becomes a um, political activist entity. The people that will show up and sit on the front row so they're there on a Sunday morning. So that everybody can be like, ooh, oh, there are those people that are there at that church. So that they can be seen as a scene. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be, it can be social oriented. It can be activist oriented. It can be good. It can be a, a community in the same way as, you know, any of the great, the Rotary Club or the, or Kiwanis or whatever. Those are great organizations that do good, but they're not per se gospel organizations, right? Um, they're just good works organizations. There's nothing good with good works as we read in that Titus passage. Um, God wants the people who are zealous for good works. Okay. And so that's good. Um, but it can't be the center of it. Um, moreover, the, the church, when it is not gospel centered, and probably this is a m- bigger danger, is that it becomes a legalistic church. Um, it becomes a church that is trying to find its salvation in everything but the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We can also see hierarchies develop within people who have certain authority within the church and they have their friend groups that's also part of that church and they become part of the leadership. And that's what we dealt with at a church in Alabama where it became more about the friendships of all of the leaders Mm -hmm. than it became about actually addressing sin in the church the right way. And, and so it created a lot of problems and divided that church. Mm-hmm. Prosperity gospel, but money and power gospel. You know. Yep. Um, you can you can be the best you possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So so our yeah self help church. Yeah. So really, you know, there's this sort of anecdote of saying anytime you add a word to the word gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. Mm-hmm. So if it's you know. Uh, uh, prosperity gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. If it's liberation gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. Um, if it's, uh, you know, the social gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. You've, you've, you've done something to it. And so, uh, you have taken away from the, the core of it. And the core is, um, the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, and, and trusting in that by, by faith and repentance. So if you don't have that right, everything else gets wrong. And so that's why it's central. It's essential for um, a church in its health. If you don't have it, it everything else will be bad. So, so what does it look like for you as uh, church members? Like, how can you be a more healthy church member in terms of of the gospel? And so we'll just kind of hit these real quick as our last slide. Um, it's incumbent upon you to. Hopefully, like do what we just did is to know the gospel. So you need to know it personally, um, but you also need to be able to um, uh, share it appropriately. So, um, or uh, in a in a, a way that is is encompasses all of the the big points of it. So, as we do, when you became a member of the church, we have a membership interview, and I ask you to explain the gospel to me. Right. Um, you probably didn't as explain it as, as expansively as in here. Not that this is super expansive, but, but this took about 40 minutes or 30 minutes and, and most of your, um, and I ask you to say, you know, keep it to three to five minutes kind of deal. Um, but I, but I want to know that you understand it personally. Um, if I say, Hey, tell me about the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, the good news is, is God loves us and, and I'm trying really hard to be a better person, then I go, yeah, that's that's great. He does love us, and I'm glad you're trying hard to be a better person. You should, um, but that's not the gospel. That's not what saves you, and you can't be saved by that. 
So, um, yeah. Um, so you need to know the gospel, uh, know it for yourself as a believer and know it enough so that you can share it with other people. Um, I hope the case is, is that what a, a gospel saturated member looks like is you enjoy hearing the gospel. Okay. So you want to be in a situation where you hear the gospel taught and preached and in Bible studies, like you want to be around the gospel. Um, you don't think of the gospel as something you're like, well, good. I'm glad I've got that behind me and now I can move on to other things. Oh, I went to church the other day and, and Ash was, you know, preached on the gospel again. You know, we've already heard that Ash. Can't we move on to other things? I hope the case is, is that no, uh, certainly we do want to move on to other things as well, but we always want to keep the gospel there. The gospel is always the bedrock and the cornerstone that we are building everything else on. And so you can't take it away. So, but I hope that you enjoy that, um, um, or yearn for it. And so that goes back to kind of the things we talked about in the previous weeks, that you would be reading good books, that you would be in your word regularly. Again, nobody does this. This is, this is works of sanctification. Nobody does this um, to the extent uh, that we should. In fact, many times we can find ourselves being very dull when it comes to the gospel and the word of God, right? We can just sort of say, man, I am, uh, I had it up to here with the gospel for today. <laughs> you know, I can't, uh, I can't do it anymore. Um, and, and that's where our, uh, the old man in our hearts are. And so it's pretty simple in those situations. We repent and we say, Lord, you know, work in me and change my heart for, for the next day. We want to know the gospel. We want to hear the gospel. We want to preach the gospel to yourself. This is one of, I think, the key principles um, uh, that Christians have been talking about for generations, um, that uh, the psychological community is, is co-opting currently and making up their own versions of it, but but this is a key thing. It's something that's very beneficial to you because the reality is, is you will go through any number of periods of doubt and difficulty and pain and hardship and questioning of your life and your actions and your circumstances and your past and your future and all these things. And you will do that your entire life in many ways. And you will think that all kinds of thoughts. You will think there is no way God that could could use you. You could you will think that there is no way God could love you. There is think there, you will think that there is no way that God could save you. That if He did ever save you, that obviously you have messed that up, and and there's no way to fix that now. Um, you could have, you can, and will have those kind of thoughts probably all of your life. And the key is, is that you need to be every single day. Preaching the gospel to yourself is you need to be speaking the truth of the gospel back into your life. It's very helpful when you've got other people who will do it too. That's part of the reason why we have a church, but it is, is, it is, it is necessary that you would preach the gospel to yourself and that you would each day when the accusations of Satan come against you and say, you're, you're not good enough or you're too bad or you're too lost or you're too whatever, you can say to yourself, none of that is true. Um, my feelings and my doubts and my insecurities, none of that is accurate. The gospel is accurate. Uh, the gospel is the truth that I can each and every day say, no, here's what the reality is. I admit that I am sinful and broken and weak and have any number of difficulties, right? That's part of the gospel. It's point number two, man, the sinful rebels. That is accurate, but none of those things save me. Jesus saves me and Jesus has freely and lovingly died for me. He has freely and lovingly offered his life to me um, and his sacrifice for me. Um, and he has said that if I will acknowledge my sin turn from it and trust in him that I will be saved. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again, every single day, because it is counterintuitive. It is not the way that we think things are. It is not the way that we see the world working all around us. Um, there are reasons why there are all kinds of philosophies that have grown up in the last century or two 
that have grabbed people's attentions, things like Darwinistic evolution and things like that. Um, the reason why those things have taken root is because they feel right. You know what? Survival the fittest feels right. You look around at the world and you go, you know what? I think survival the fittest is the way the world works. It sure looks like it most days, man. The, the weak get plowed into the ground and the domineering seem to survive and, and live their lives. Man, it seems like it makes sense. Except the problem is it's not true. It's a lie. That isn't the way the world works. May it be the way the broken sinful world works in some things, but it isn't the ultimate principle. Um, the gospel is what's ultimate. And the gospel says, no, that's not the way everything plays out. The way it plays out is the one who was ultimately powerful gave himself for those who were powerless and, and he has saved them by his goodness and merit. And we have that as a gift of his grace, um, not of any kind of, uh, violence or domineering spirit. So preach the gospel to yourselves. Um, take the gospel to its conclusions. Live the gospel out in your life every single day. Um, try to realize the ways that the gospel says you should live differently and think differently and treat people differently and what you should value and the directions you should go. And um, all those things are important, right? Um, that sort of has to do with the kingdom. Let the kingdom play out in your life, right? Do not take the gospel and say, cool, get out of hell free card, uh, and then go on with my life and doing whatever I would want to. No, that's not what the gospel's for. The gospel by no means do that, right? So I should, I should sin that grace may abound by no means. Don't do that. Um, live for, uh, the gospel implications, um, in your life. Uh, Fifthly, share the gospel. Tell other people the gospel. Um, most people probably don't understand the gospel. We are moving quickly to a world, certainly in the American context, but really anywhere else in the world too, is that in many places, not only have people not heard about the gospel, they do not know who Jesus is. Um, any connection they have with Jesus is from a history book. They know that that was something. He was somebody that did something in Europe in the medieval times or something. That's when, that's who Jesus is. recently say that was a fictional character. So people that don't even realize that he's yeah. walked this earth and that there's plenty of documentation to prove that he walked this Yeah, right. He's just a mythical character, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, many people don't have any context of who he is. Now, again, you're probably going to not, those won't be, that won't be many people in the, in the Bible Belt. But interestingly, as people from other parts of the country move to the Bible Belt, you will find that. Um, you go to the Pacific Northwest, you go to certain places in New England, you go to places like that, and there are lots of people who for generations no one has heard of Jesus. Um, uh, you, you know, again, it's weird for us in, in East Tennessee because we have a church on every corner. You go to lots of places in the world and there are no churches. That's not something that's a thing there. They don't exist in those spaces. Um, I was listening to a, a comment the other day and it was a missionary who was working in a city. And I can't remember now if it was somewhere in, it was like a New England kind of town or if it was Pacific Northwest, but in this little town, you know, and there's a town of 15,000 people or something like that. There were no zero Bible believing churches, nor had there been since like the year 1880, that the last church had closed down in that town in the year 1880. And since then there had been no gospel churches in that community, that, that, that city. Um, you know, how many people live, you know, that's, that's five, six generations, seven generations of people who, with no gospel witness, theoretically. And so that is the reality of many places in our world. And so we, it is incumbent upon us to share the gospel, um, to not assume that people know the gospel, to not assume that church people know the gospel, right? That people who have been in the church their entire lives, um, not assume that they know the gospel because we probably all know stories of people who were in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties who all of a sudden one day went, I've been in church my entire life and I never understood the gospel until now. And, and they get saved. So share the gospel with people. And lastly, 
guard the gospel. And that would be, it is your job as church members, it is the church's job as well, but it is your job as church members to guard the gospel. Don't let it be co-opted by stupid stuff, okay? Um, we have tried our best, and we don't do a great job at it all the time, but we have tried our best in the last, as a, as this church, over the last five years, to skate some sort of non-political um, non, I mean, with COVID and Black Lives Matter and the Trump and elections and all those things to say, hey, we recognize that there are any number of issues going on in our world where the, the, the scriptures have an opinion about those things, right? They speak into those situ- situations, okay? But having said that, we're also not going to be partisan. Okay, we are not going to be a Republican church or a Democrat church. We're not going to be a uh, Black Lives Matter church or a uh, Make America Great uh, church, right? We're not going to be any of those things, okay? Um, not that all of those opinions might not have something to say, and the Bible would speak into each one of them. But the reality is, is uh, we're not Republican gospel. We're not Make America Great Again gospel. We're not Antifa gospel, right? We're not any of those because we're just a gospel church. Um, again, that can be hard because for one, I have lots of personal opinions. Um, and I would like to think that those personal opinions are formed by the gospel, but maybe not everybody would agree with me on those things. And so I try to keep some of those personal opinions, uh, at bay, even though I can't help but letting them out lots of times, um, because I got a big mouth. And, and I want to share about them, right? Um, and sometimes you feel like you need to. Sometimes something's going on in our culture and you say, man, I feel like I got to say something about that because that's dumb and unbiblical and we can't stand for that, right? And we don't want to be misled about that. I, by the same token, I want to guard the gospel from my own views, but I certainly want to guard the gospel from the goofy views of somebody else out there. And so sometimes there's a balancing act that goes on there, but we have to, we have to guard the gospel. We have to try to find a way of saying, no, let's focus on what is central um, and right. Uh, yes, it has all kinds of, it plays out in all kinds of ways. But again, many times we're, we're trying to, each side is, 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 uh, is saying something. That for sure, right? The, the gospel is not going to change. The, the crisis will change and the, and the, the situation will change. But on the other side of that crisis, the gospel will still be the same and the gospel will still be speaking the same truth into both those sides. And sometimes you'll have two different sides in a war and each of those sides will have legitimate grievances, right? Um, and so if we try to say, well, the gospel is aligned with one side or the other, then we're going to have a problem because the truth is, is that some of those grievances may get uh, ignored and they're legitimate. Now, again, that's not always the case. Sometimes, man, the sides are pretty clear. Um, uh, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't have any problem getting up in the pulpit and speaking against abortion. Um, I'm, doesn't bother me at all um, because I think the the issue is so clear cut on one side that while the other side may have real things that we should be concerned about, they don't outweigh the life of a child, right? Um, but again, that is that even then, you might say, man, the the gospel, uh, the issue of abortion is certainly something that has obvious gospel implications, but abortion isn't the gospel. That, that issue is not the gospel either. Um, that is that is not at the center, and so. But just like we said in two points above that, take the gospel to its conclusions, right? Um, there will be many places where we say, okay, well, here's the gospel, and that has implications for these social issues, and we have to play those out. And yet they're not the gospel. That's a, that's a thing that has was bothered me, again, over the last decade. Um, uh, God bless uh, the gospel coalition, but the gospel coalition is often one of the prime offenders in this, is everything's a gospel issue. Every article they had, they wrote an article, you know, pet food crisis. 
it's a gospel issue. Um, you know, uh, how many, uh, organically grown vegetables do you eat each day? It's a gospel issue. And most of the time I want to, wanted to say, does the gospel have implications for those things? Sure. Are those gospel issues not in the least? They are not even remotely close to the gospel. Um, so we need to guard the gospel. We're not going to do that perfectly all the time. Um, we're not going to do that even maybe in sometimes well. We will probably many times um, in our in our zealousness to guard the gospel, we will end up um, looking ugly or harsh or or something like that. And maybe we are ugly or harsh or maybe we're doing what the culture doesn't want us to. But we still got to try. Um, we still got to do our best to to guard the gospel in all contexts. So I know that was a, there's all kinds of points to talk about in there. Questions, comments, concerns. The liturgy of our service because it also mirrors the gospel at every step. And that's something that I did not grow up with. And so entering in a church like that in adulthood has been really helpful for me. So that's one of those gospel center things that I appreciate that our church does. Yeah, so we have the, the, the philosophy or whatever you could say is every church service everywhere is shaped like something. They probably never, many churches have never thought about it, but every church service is shaped like something. So what is your church service shaped like? And I think most churches would end up saying, well, it's, it's based off some biblical necessities mixed with practicality. That is usually what a service is, is functions as. So it'll say something like, well, we're supposed to sing songs and preach the word. So we do that. And other than that, we try to get people out of here by a certain time, right? That's basically the the kind of attitude. Um, then there are other churches that have liturgies that go back 1,800 years or whatever and say, no, no, we do very delineated things in our service every single week because we have done them as a church for 1,500 or 1,800 years. And I'm like, cool, good for you. Um, but I don't necessarily think that, doing things the way we've always done them is, is the greatest reason either. Um, what we shoot for is we say, you know, if you're going to shape your service like something, why not shape it like the gospel? That would be a pretty good shape. If we got to pick something, let's make it gospel shaped. Um, and so that's what we try to do. So if you look through our service, it's the Isaiah prep passages that you see every single week are the framework that go through basically a God, man, Christ, kingdom kind of deal. If you didn't know that. We think it's the hardest one. Most people sharing the gospel is, is the thing that, that most people find difficult, especially in the world the way it is. With the cancel culture and all this kind of stuff. Because there's constant there's consequence. Not that there wasn't consequences in the first century, but you get killed. Uh, and in other places in the world, you get killed for that. You don't really get killed, you just get canceled here. Hmm. I would agree with that and just, you know, you hear more stories of, of, of when you do share the gospel or you try to take the gospel to its conclusion, you know, without the gospel, then if you don't agree with certain, you know, topics and things that are going on right now, you know, people could lose their job because, you know, they might not agree with the, you know, the LG. That or um, you know, I, I, I was listening to a podcast where a woman in California who was against some um, some curriculum, and um, when she was 
um, fired from her job. I mean, she didn't work for the school board, but at a school board meeting, you know, she talked about, you know, there's only two changes and and I mean, is that the gospel? I mean, you know, kind of, it, you know, it, it certainly falls. I mean, mm-hmm. yes. It certainly has implications for it, right? Um, so, losing your job because you're just saying what the truth, for, you know, scientific truth. Um, so, I feel like, especially if you're sharing the gospel, you know, if you're living the gospel out that way, um, if, if there's more risk than, you know, maybe there were 30 years ago. Well, sharing is living it out. I mean, putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, I mean, as you say, in some countries, uh, it would go to jail. Did Finland lose it? The, 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 yeah. Is it Finland or was it in Denmark? It was either in Finland or Denmark. Yeah, the lady who uh, yeah, she posted, the, she posted the Bible verse and she's she said to jail for yeah. Yeah. hate speech. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, anybody even, you know, it's becoming more, um, you know, against the gospel. Yeah. I think, I think no one knows it's a big struggle with We're gonna we're gonna talk about that tonight in the sermon a little bit, but that's honestly that's why I asked the question because I wanted that you to say that answer, uh, uh, not you specifically, but but it was I was leading into it like, man, I think, yeah, that's, I think I think preaching the gospel because it because here's the deal the the reality is is the gospel it's not the way our hearts are shaped oftentimes and man we fall out of the gospel now i don't mean we fall out of salvation but we fall out of a gospel mindset at the drop of a hat when anything happens when we mess up when somebody pushes against us when when there is division when there is um guilt when something bad you know when you do something that you didn't know exactly how to to uh respond or act or do whatever and then all of a sudden like you start looking at your own actions and you go gosh i shouldn't have done things that way or man all of a sudden it's like the gospel goes out the window uh half the times in our own hearts and feelings and things like that and so um, legalism, I mean, any kind of legalism and moralism in the church, like those are situations where people have forgotten the gospel. And so, um, well, I would also argue the other side as well, overindulgent mercy, where it's like, oh, we're just going to push things under the surface. Legalism yep. is definitely probably, I think it's the more overt one. Yeah. But the other one is, is well, yep. we're going to be merciful. Yeah. Permissivism or something. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so, like, things don't get dealt with. Yeah. Um, they just kind of. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 I think, too, sometimes you have to, you know, give yourself grace. I mean, if you're preaching the gospel to yourself, then you're also being able to repent and know that, you know, but if you, if you repent of your sin, Jesus is going to forgive you. So, you know, this, that is the gospel that, you know, you are following. And it'd be real easy to. To say, oh, well, I keep messing up, so I mean, I must not be a Christian, mm-hmm. and I must not be saved. But if you could continue to preach the gospel to yourself, then you know that you are mm-hmm. sinful, and you're always going to be sinful. Different followers talk, and so like, no matter how firm you believe something, just like metal, if it hit a hammer long enough, it's gonna start changing shape. So I think part of what we're supposed to do is have other people maybe kind of help reshape our brain back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we're also supposed to try to reshape our brain back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. But we need to just slowly head the way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, preaching the gospel to yourself is not a substitute for having other people preach the gospel to you as well. Um, right. Like it's just that those are both important. We're supposed to have both of those things. Right. Yeah. But you're definitely right. You know, that's why you need the church. That's why you need, um, you know, the the Bible talks about the idea of, of that we confess our sins to each other so that we can receive healing um, from 
those sins. The idea that we can't, there's, there's a sense in which, and what we want to do is individualistic Americans or whatever go, no, me and God are good and I can take my sins to God and me and God are going to deal with them and he's going to forgive me and I'm going to repent and I'm going to go about my business and everything's going to be fine. And that's how I'm going to work. And the Bible would say, you need more than that. I think it would say you need to be in community. Um, you don't just need and again, this is, it, it almost sounds blasphemous to say it like this. You don't just need Jesus telling you the gospel, right? You need Jesus in your community telling you the gospel. You need another person sitting across from you encouraging you in the gospel. Um, you need to be able to say your sins to another human being. Um, because man, I think again, and, and this is just me psychologizing it. So don't, don't take it for too much. Um, but, but when we confess our sins to God, which we totally should, don't say whatever. Um, but we know what God's answer is going to be, right? If we are repentant of, then we know uh, that he is going to forgive us because that's what, that's the kind of God he is, right? He's a merciful God, right? But we have a suspicion that nobody else is going to forgive us of these sins, right? Like we have a suspicion that, yeah, well, God will forgive me because God's awesome. But if I told anybody else this, um, they would crucify me for it, right? And that's why you need people in your life who won't do that. You need people who will go, um, what you did was wrong and the gospel is still true. Um, even though you need people who can do that, right? Sometimes you can't move past sin and you confess it to God, but being able to confess it to someone else and you can actually like, yeah, and move, move. Forward on it, yeah. Who? That's all she wrote. So next week. Um, we'll have prayer meeting, so we will not have this class next week, but then the week after that, we will have uh, session four, and then we'll have session five, and then the week after that, it'll be business meeting. So so we'll have a break, two weeks, and then a couple different breaks. That's right. We'll have some new people join, um, several, and... Locked in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>